Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. The insidiousness of the John, the average man who pays for sex, is that he doesn't see himself as a rapist. He has outsourced the violence of rape to the pimps. So he doesn't hold her down. He doesn't break her. He doesn't get her addicted to drugs. So he thinks he's not a rapist because he pays the pimp to do all that hard work and he just walks in at the end. All the emphasis goes on the prostituted women. And that's what the media focuses on. And I am just trying to wrench that back to these men who are the ones who do have the control in this transaction and who could make changes. You know, Johns, they're not hardened criminals. You know, they don't live in an organized crime underground. They're the men around us. And it actually takes very little pressure to change a man from being a prostitute user to not. You threaten to tell his wife, he will stop. You threaten to take his car, he will stop. These aren't hardened criminals. And the small amount of pressure that it takes has produced dramatic changes. That was Samantha Berg, a radical feminist writer and organizer focused on reducing men's demand for prostitution. And you'll hear our entire epic conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now let's get back to the show. I first crossed paths with Samantha Berg about eight years ago, and I'd like to share something she wrote back then that made me stand up and pay attention. Quote, the reasons a woman only has to make one porn film to be a porn star are similar to the reasons a man only has to sign on the dotted government line to be a war hero. The war hero and porn star are calculated lies told by exploiters to keep expendable flesh walking through their doors. Close quote. Shortly after reading that, I interviewed Samantha, and it is way overdue that we reconnect for a follow-up. So, Sam, welcome to Post Woke. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And I got to tell you, as I read that quote of yours, I find myself shaking my head at your use of terms like man and woman, which seems so archaic. (laughs) I'm old-fashioned that way. (laughs) I appreciate that about you. You come out of being, I know you you were once a a proud New York City liberal. So before we jump into uh, smashing and stomping some Johns here, I just need to ask, could you ever imagine a time back then 
when the so-called left not only perceived porn and prostitution as empowering, but also now claim to not even know what a woman is. <laughs> it's all tied up, unfortunately. Um, no, that that new development is certainly a shock to me. Um, having grown up in very liberal New York with very liberal parents, um, my dad was an engineer and he had hooked up so we could get the illegal cable and all the pay-per-view channels. So I've had streaming porn into my house since I was a child in the 90s. Oh, no. Which is a bit uh, a little ahead of the game for when streaming porn entered most people's lives. So it, it was just always the, um, I don't know, the water in which I swam in and you come to accept it. It wasn't until I got somewhat older and I started to ask questions that my own mind started to change. Um, and then I started doing this activism and I got really into abolition of sex slavery. And then all of a sudden I got thrown this curveball that said, we can't even talk about how men are hurting women anymore because there's no such thing as a man or a woman anymore. And nobody can make any statements of fact anymore. And I'm really sure we can, and I'm just going to keep doing that. Likewise. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to jump then back into the primary topic of our original interview is what you very accurately call the demand side of prostitution, Johns. So what could you tell listeners about this, this the demand side of prostitution, and how it conditions society to ultimately accept rape as kind of a form of theft? Yeah, it's... I think it's important to see, I used to be a liberal feminist. I think many of us go through a progression <clears throat> where we become politicized and we realize there are problems. And I became a liberal and I became a pro-sex feminist in my early 20s. That seemed like a really good idea. But then I started to become a radical. And I know that's a big, heavy word that many people don't understand what that means. So I just want to say what I think being a radical is and how it informs my decision to specifically target the demand for prostitution. I feel like there is this river and there's babies floating down the river and you need someone at the bottom of the river taking the babies out. And that's the liberals. They need to take the kids out and dry them off. I'm a radical because I believe it's important to go upstream and to find out who is throwing the babies in. Why do they want them in the water? What's going on there? It's a harder thing to do. You don't get as many accolades as you do when you dry off a baby's head at the riverfront. It's very photogenic. But I am committed to going upstream and really figuring out the root of this problem. And it's not even pimps and human traffickers. It is the men around us who feel that paying for sex is an acceptable thing they can do. Wow. I, I, I love that analogy. And, and it's even scary to think what it, it, here in 2023 to follow that analogy down where what those liberals are doing, trying to convince those babies are after they, you know, trying to convince them once they take them out of the river. But that's a, that's another podcast, <laughs> you know, it's like, my goodness. But um, so, so basically I, I, I remember from our conversations, like the, 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 you define Johns as the largest demographic involved in prostitution yet it seems, and I think it's pretty accurate to say they are the ones who, pretty much skate by the most unscathed. Absolutely. And it's time to change that. In, in Portland, where I live, it's estimated there are an average 20 Johns to each prostitute. And they are just hidden and nobody speaks of them. And news reports about prostitution invariably feature a sexy woman. This is the media image we presented with. It doesn't show your father 
or your husband or your son. It doesn't show the men in our lives who created this problem. And something I think is interesting about people who want to talk about prostitution as work, as legitimate, um, there is no consumer lobby for the men who use prostitutes. There are no organizations of men who are like, yeah, we use prostitutes. We are hobbyists and this is what we want. And I think that's because men who use prostitutes, they already have exactly what they want. They already have unlimited access to any number of ages, of ethnicities, of any kind of woman you can order up on DoorDash and delivered to you. So they don't need a consumer lobby. All the emphasis goes on the prostituted women. And that's what the media focuses on. And I'm just trying to wrench that back to these men who are the ones who do have the control in this transaction and who could make changes. You know, Johns, they're not hardened criminals. You know, they don't live in an organized crime underground. They're the men around us. And it actually takes very little pressure to change a man from being a prostitute user to not. You threaten to tell his wife, he will stop. You threaten to take his car, he will stop. These aren't hardened criminals. And the small amount of pressure that it takes has produced dramatic changes in countries where they have decided targeting the demand will fix the problem. It's been working extraordinarily well in the Nordic model countries. Yeah, I definitely want to pick your brain on the Nordic model, but I, I want to follow up on what you just said that <laughs> you very logically point out that that this demographic of Johns, generally speaking, I mean, almost 98% speaking, are not men that um, are living criminal lives and they would be pretty much scared shitless if they got caught and threatened with anything that you said, telling your wife, telling your family, telling your boss, taking your car. So if the if the way to stop them is so simple, what's in the way of that happening? The political will to do so. <laughs> um, it's a very profitable industry. I mean, we're talking uncounted billions of dollars. Uh, in Portland alone, you can't seem to go but a few blocks without seeing some kind of sex industry establishment, whether that's a strip club, a lingerie shack, or the explosion of Asian massage parlors all over Portland in the past couple of years has been a topic I've been getting more on top of. It's a little frightening because those actually are organized criminals. There are Asian gangs that put these Asian women in these houses all around us. I mean, there are two within close walking distance of my house that I can just go to. And I have big questions about Portlanders who put signs on their front lawns saying, stop Asian hate. And those signs are within viewing distance of these Asian massage parlors where women who don't speak English are being held in rooms to be raped repeatedly on the very realistic expe expectation that white men will pay very big money to continually do this. And that people drive past them on their way to work, that we walk past them as we go to pick up something from the store, and we all just don't talk about it. How can we talk about Asian representation in media. Anytime an Asian actress is a lead in a movie, we talk about how wonderful that is for representation. But you can't walk around an average U.S. city these days and not see what Asian reputation, you know, representation, it means Asian whores. It means Asian women are naturally seen as white men's whores, and nobody even talks about it. 
Wow, a hundred percent right. I, I live in New York City and I could say to to respond to what you said that where I am sitting right now in, in the borough of Queens in New York City, if I walked out my door in any direction, it would take me less than three to five minutes to cross paths with one of those quote unquote massage parlors. Mm -hmm. And depending on the neighborhood, not so much where I am in Queens, but depending on the neighborhood, the women and 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 females who appear to my eye to be more accurately girls, they sometimes stand outside and it seems like the, the they, they're just taught a couple of phrases to try and solicit men. And as you said, nothing is done. And it, it, it's your point juxtaposing it with all the, like the recent praise for, um, the wonderful Michelle Yao, no, no, no offense yes. to her, um, no. but the, to, to see that as a, as a great leap forward for the representation of Asians in general, but Asian women in particular is um, contradictory to say the least. And, and I, I applaud you for bringing that up because it's something I, I even hate to think of, but I, I walk everywhere in New York city and there comes a point where passing them, becomes quote unquote normal because mm -hmm. I'm short of kicking in the door with a, a mob of well-armed men, because you said these are criminals. I don't even know what to do, but except this, except to give voice to someone who is aware of this and has been working on these issues for 20 years and try to, to have listeners have that light bulb go off like it did just to me when you would when you were talking about Asian representation. But um, I really want I want to mention you mentioned a couple of times the concept of sex work and I and I would assume that part of this political this lack of political will is the is the obscuring of straight up prostitu prostitution by using a term like sex work and which changes the the whole equation in a lot of people's mind particularly now in in an increasingly woke society and i I've, I've read you saying that you, this is a direct quote from you when sex is work rape is theft so mm -hmm. can you elaborate on that i can i feel like especially with the prevalence of pornography i feel like we are running a huge human experiment here. We're the first generation of people, boys mainly, who have been raised on high-speed internet pornography since they were children, is becoming of age now. They are in their 20s. And I feel we are seeing the repercussions of that porn-fed childhood coming out. And one of those things is the inability to see rape for the rape it is, because how can you see it for what it is when you have years of masturbating to prostituted women being raped on film and having it edited out so it's not overtly shown to you? And that's if that's the good porn. I mean, a lot of the porn out there really even just says, watch us hurt these women. It's enjoyable. It's fun. This seems like a small point, but I have such a bug in my butt about condoms in pornography and the lack of condoms in porn. And I think the, the common average person understands basic sexual safety. And if we want to talk about prostitution as work, how come these workers are not protected by condoms? That we can all see in the porn, it's not even hidden. You can just pull it up and see no condoms in porn. And why that really is, is because men do not want to see evidence of caretaking of women in the porn. All the ad copy is about hurting these women. You don't put a visual representation of protecting a woman in a media that is based on hurting women. And that's why these you know, workers don't have this basic protection. So I feel it starts on a very small level that protecting women from sexual harm doesn't even matter, even in the most overt 
sex-based, work-based manner. Now, where it gets more challenging is how that slides right into accepting rape as just the way things are. The way that sexual harassment of women in the workplace, like your boss hitting on you, it used to just be unfortunate before it was a crime of economic coercion. And there are many ways to coerce rape. I mean, the very definition of rape is coerced sex. We mostly think of it as a physical coercion, you know, holding someone down. But there's also chemical, you know, using drugs or alcohol. There's emotional blackmail. There's economic. And that's what we're talking about is economic coercion. And it's not a work thing. I want to bring up a case of when I was purchasing my house in Portland, I went looking at the crime statistics for the Montevilla neighborhood. And among the sexual assaults, there was a little asterisk. So I followed it down to see what that meant. And what it said was prostitution assaults not counted. Wow. And I don't know how you can say that rape is not being considered rape when it happens in the context of prostitution, when the very rapes that have happened in my own neighborhood were explicitly kept out of statistics on rape crimes in my neighborhood. I feel that's a very direct response to what happens to prostituted women just does not count as rape. Wow. That, I mean, they're not even pretending to hide it or, or pretending to, to, to justify it. They're just, it's an asterisk. And anybody who takes the effort, which is, I'm going to sadly assume is the majority of people don't scroll down as you did to see, to see the specifics and the clarification that then they're not even getting that information. And it's, it's crystal clear that they're saying, this is what these women are worth to us. Mm -hmm. And the, this, whether it be the lack of of uh, condoms in porn films or that asterisk, as you say, these um, this is the classic methods of conditioning. You know, we could use all the examples throughout history of of propaganda states, including the one we live in, and how th if you make things incremental and people mm -hmm. slowly accept them, then there comes a point where they don't even realize two, three, four years pass, a decade pass, and what's now normal in their minds. And that's how I feel when I look around. And certainly the example you bring up of this new, this generation of boys in their 20s, young men in their 20s, started looking at easily accessible extreme pornography pre-puberty. And that was their sex education. And that was their even... I don't know how to even phrase it. Their their introduction to the concept of relationships, even like what, how women, where where women fit into their life, um, how they deserve to be treated, how they like, how they assume they like to be treated, and these things cannot be taken for granted because these they're planting seeds that create the problems that you and I are talking about now. And along those lines, what I want, what I'd love to do, because there's so much intentional confusion and misinformation about prostitution, trafficking, et cetera. In the name of getting people more up to speed, I want to run some like common myths by you or common uh, retorts to get to um, give you a chance to shoot them down. And please, at any point, I, I want you to feel a lot of agency in this interview. At any point you want to segue into the Nordic model, or you, you mentioned to me your exact word is the lucrative connection between porn and prostitution. I will follow you where you take these, these uh, answers. But I'd like to just start with something that I've heard, particularly in liberal New York, where when you have a conversation like this, people will come back and say, well, prostitution is mostly a choice. What What is your response to a line like that? You know, it truly depends on who I'm speaking with and what I feel their motivations for coming at that is. 
Um, I feel the obvious is, well, if it's of a choice, why is it the peoples with the least amount of choices available to them who are doing it? Why is it so disproportionately poverty-stricken minority women who are doing it? I think there's a good question there. If it's just work. Um, I also, again, with the questioning, if it's just work, how come we can't get basic OSHA protections on it? So I hear that it's work, but I don't even see any motivation from the people around me to get basic health and safety. So when you say it's work and then you don't do anything to protect basic worker self safety, I have to think you're being disingenuous. You know, I mean, you're not really, I, you know, who's doing work to try and get condoms and porn? Me, yeah. abolitionists, other people who recognize the harms of prostitution and are just trying to do the most feral, basic facts to try and protect these people. And, and this is a great segue to the Nordic model because often when I've been interviewed, I've been asked, you know, instead of legalizing prostitution, your preference is the Nordic model of decriminalizing women who are prostitutes, but keeping criminal the demand for prostitutes. And it's a simple concept, but the, the way it trips people up always amuses me <laughs> because the idea that it is not a crime to be so poor and desperate that you would do anything you need for money. However, it is a crime to take advantage of vulnerable people to hurt them. And, and just flipping that script around puts the onus on those men to stop hurting these women. You know, it's a big chore. It's a big ask, I understand. But I feel that any day now, men could prove me wrong. Men can show me that they can have their hookers without hating them to death. And I would change my whole practice. I would change what I do. I've not seen any evidence that men are willing to do that. But I have to say that the Nordic model is a compromise. My preference is that nobody pays for sex, that people have sex because they want to and they're consenting. The Nordic model is the compromise I am willing to accept right now that women just need to do what they need to do to survive and they shouldn't be punished for that. But we need to reduce the demand that is hurting them. All right. So can you go a little bit more nuts and bolts to someone who maybe right now is the first time they've ever heard the term Nordic model, just to make sure they know what you're talking about? Sure. Um, a good example of trying to put the Nordic model into place here in the United States is Seattle. In Seattle, they were arresting pimps, which sounds like a fantastic idea. I mean, who could be against arresting <laughs> pimps? That's great. What the police were finding, though, was it's organized crime. And every time you take out one pimp, another one just moves into that territory. You're essentially doing the work for the pimps by taking out their competition. And this has been replicated in Portland as well. There are some strip clubs in uh, Southeast Portland that have been changing hands depending on who has the power to control them. There've been a lot of shoot shootings at these strip clubs, sometimes multiple times in a month as these organized criminals fight for the wealth that is generated from legal prostitution in Portland. So finally, the police officers in Seattle were like, this isn't working. We can't just keep arresting the pimps. It's just a revolving door. So instead they decided, well, what you need to do is you undercut the demand. And if there's no demand, then you have no more pimps. And if you have no more pimps, you have no more prostitutes. The insidiousness of the John, the average man who pays for sex is that he doesn't see himself as a rapist. He has outsourced the violence of rape to the pimps. So he doesn't hold her down. He doesn't break her. He doesn't get her addicted to drugs. So he thinks he's not a rapist because he 
pays the pimp to do all that hard work, and he just walks in at the end. The Nordic model is about recognizing that Johns are the drivers of this. And also, and I have to pull back just a little on men because I can stomp the Johns hard. These are men who have been lied to their whole lives. They were given a script from pornography that says, you want to bang a different girl every night, that's going to make you happy. The more numbers you get, the better you'll be. And that doesn't make men happy. And I think the reason we see a lot of violence from men towards the prostitutes that they use is because of that shame and because it doesn't make them happy. On my better days, I can have empathy for these men on my better days. <laughs> but then sometimes I just want to, uh, I just want to stop them by any means necessary. But, I hear you. Uh, I hear you. That, I mean, that's a very, very human admission you just made there because um, at, at a time where you can create some detachment, you could say those men can be saved. These aren't men who, who've invested their life into, into crime syndicates that maybe not to say that those men can't either. I don't want to get into a philosophical conversation, but these men can be, they can, if they got conditioned one way, they can be changed to a different direction. But then there comes a point where the, as you said, the insidiousness of it, the, the sheer volume of these mm -hmm. men um, reaches a point where you just say, that's not my, my place isn't to sit here and figure out ways to turn them to, to, to forgive them right now. What we, the, 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 we have to stop the bleeding. You know, mm -hmm. the next step could be that, but there's too much going on to say, oh, I, I found one guy. Let me work on him. Now, you need to shut a lot of them down. I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that a city like Seattle chose that, um, that direction because my assumption would have been that it was like a, a, a free zone when it comes to so-called sex work and it, it, the way Seattle, where Seattle has evolved. And I just want to add one, one interest, one semi-related point that I do a fair amount of work here in New York city to help homeless women on the street. And I've had people actually push back on me because quite often the conditioned response to seeing a homeless woman on the street is to say that they chose to be there. Mm -hmm. And um, I, and in some cases, because I get to know the women, in some cases they end up um, prostituted out of that desperation you, you mentioned, the vulnerability, the fact that a, a homeless woman can't sleep on the street alone, that she's too vulnerable. So even homeless men come over and say, I'll protect you and you know what, you, I don't have to fill in the blanks of what that adds up to. And it just seems... It seems so disappointing. It is so disappointing that people can't see through this as a way to pull, to tug at our humanity, to, to cut away our humanity, that we can't say, no, these desperate people don't, these women don't choose to, to be raped for money. These women don't choose to be, to sleep on the streets. A system that we live in that, that where people fall through the cracks and what we should be doing is be there to help them, not to exploit them. The choice is the Johns. People can talk about what percentage of what level of prostitutes. 100% of Johns make the choice to use prostitutes. 100%. It's it's solid. And there's many more of them. You know, in Portland, 20 times more Johns. So why we're talking about choice in the context of women's choices instead of the context of men's choices is the problem. Amen to that. Bingo. Um, all right. So now you've mentioned... Uh, in the course of this conversation, strip clubs and pornography. So um, 
I'm assuming you have had people attempt to push back at you and say, no, porn and stripping aren't the same as prostitution. They, they're not they're not prostitution. So what do you say to somebody who can't see what should be obvious connections between these different these different branches of the same tree? Yeah, it's odd to me that they're, they're all included under the umbrella sex worker when they want to talk about sex workers' rights. Mm. Then it's strippers, then it's porn cams, then it's all of that. But suddenly when we're talking about, you know, prostitution, they cut all those other people out. And I think that, you know, that's a conscious political choice to decide that stripping and all these other things are not. But I would, again, just, what do men think? And when you ask men what they think, strippers or whores. That's what they think. Um, 100% of strippers who were asked in a study um, by a woman, Helly, Kelly Hall Soppel did research. She was a stripper herself. And all of those women had been propositioned for sex. So if someone doesn't think strippers are prostitutes, you're not talking to the men who think strippers mm. are prostitutes and who solicit them as prostitutes or to the pimps who know when you bring a girl into a new town, you know where to bring her. You bring her to the red light districts, which is such a terrible euphemism for the rape neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. It's another way of just normalizing this where it, be, it, be, it almost, it almost sounds colorful it, 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 to describe yeah. it as, yeah. So what what is this lucrative connection between porn and prostitution? How, is, um, I think you've described it as as sort of porn is this billion dollar advertising campaign for prostitution to some degree. Yeah, it's the largest product of prostitution. I mean, we all know that porn is filmed prostitution. We do mental gymnastics to get around that. And I wonder, is there anybody who hasn't at some point asked themselves? How can the porn industry be based out of California when California does not have legal prostitution? It's as if I decided to just start selling heroin, but then I filmed myself selling heroin and suddenly it's not a crime anymore because I filmed it. The, the, again, the mental gymnastics necessary to hide the obvious harms and the obvious truths is it's really where I live and what I get at. It's easy to take little babies out of brothels and get lots of you know sympathy for that. But I really want to look at the less sympathetic characters in all of this. And when I see that the role pornography has, not only in promoting prostitution, telling men that this is good for them, this makes them happy. Women want this to be done to them. You know, it all feeds in. And I, and of course, I feel that pornography is a grooming tool for children, both males and females. You know, it tells males one thing and it gives a very different message to females. And when I look at the changing dynamics of pornography over especially even the last five to 10 years, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying that it seems like now even sisters and stepsisters are not even safe in their own homes from brothers and stepbrothers deciding that they are sexual objects to them openly at Pornhub. You can just go to Pornhub and see this. It's not hidden. It's not some secret underground den. What is happening in pornography is being played on the bodies of prostitutes. And then it's a feedback loop where those prostitutes are sold again and again. Many porn stars, you know, as they call them, are prostitutes. They use the pornography that they make to secure more johns or, you know, their pimps help them with that. They, excuse me, their managers help them get more clients. But because they started in porn or stripping, there's this veneer of legality. And to take that straight to the worst case scenario, 
the amount of child brides that happen even in the United States is amazing to me that it's just legal child sex slavery that 14-year-olds can be married off to 50-year-old men. And it doesn't count as prostitution and or trafficking. It's just marriage. Oh, boy. Um, so... Pardon me, I didn't even know where to what where to how to, re, how to reply. It's it's like it's not like I'm unaware of this, but I'm happy to say that it jolts me every single time someone like you just lays it out, you know, crystal clear like this. Because I think anyone who's not jolted by anything you said, ending with fifty year old men marrying fourteen year old girls, not marrying is quite a euphemism. Yeah. Um, yeah it, so we you've mentioned a bunch of times that there's there is this facade that 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 we're all aware of but pretending we don't see i i'm guessing though that ensuing generations who were raised on porn are going to find it harder and harder to even recognize that the facade exists like older men who are johns can can remember a pre-internet time or, or a time period where we weren't so, this wasn't so normalized. So in the work that you've been doing over the years and all the, the way things have evolved, the, 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 the prominence of the, the internet and the, the introduction of, of so much confusion, for, particularly the children when it comes to quote, different quote unquote genders and so on. What, what type of tactics work to break through to different demographics to see that that to to, to recognize your heroin um, analogy as uh, an entry point to say oh wait a second I never saw it that way because I I sometimes find myself frustrated as to like how to find the words to, to as an entry point to to get people to question what they just choose not to question because it's happening right in front of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the lies that have been told about this industry, it's a very powerful multi-billion dollar industry. They have spent a tremendous amount of money on public relations, getting their message out into the world and making sure that real stories don't get out into the world. Um, it's hard to say it's about education because I think these are things that we intrinsically know. And this is a point where I want to bring up the word shame. Again, a very loaded word, just like radical. But I feel that men's own humanity is our greatest asset because men's own shame about their behaviors is how we're going to win this. In all my conversations in 20 some odd years about having with this, men do not admit that they pay for sex. Everybody's got a friend or knew someone when he knew someone in college. I've never had a man just say, yes, I pay for sex and I like it and that's fine. And I, I think I have the right to do that. I feel men's own shame about their own behaviors is a great way to work it. And, and truly the Nordic model plays into that a little bit by making it socially unacceptable for men to pay for sex, as opposed to the United States where capitalism reigns free and any way you can make a dollar is an acceptable, legitimate way to make a dollar. So I like to see that there is a change on that. And shame sounds like such a morality written word, but it's men's own humanity kicking yes. at their own consciences, trying to tell them to be the better people that they know they are. You know, I have two responses to that. One, I, I can't 
tell you the specifics as to what radio station it was, but I remember being extremely young, but knowing that there was a radio station in New York City that used to read aloud on the air the names of every John that was arrested that week. Like once a week they would read them. Since we're not radio oriented anymore, and 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 obviously things have changed a lot. I I don't know if that still exists, but I'm tempted to look it up. But that that seemed like a justifiable shaming. And if if they, people need a different word than shaming, then they can find it. Go find a thesaurus mm -hmm. and use a different word. But it seems like that might be it. And also when you were talking about appealing to men's humanity, I think of this quote, I just looked up to make sure I get it correct from the great Andrea Dworkin, who said, have you ever wondered why we are not just in armed combat against you, speaking to men? It's not because there's a shortage of kitchen knives in the country. It's because we believe in your humanity against all the evidence. We do not want to do the work of helping you to believe in your humanity. And per perhaps, perhaps we can, you know, it, it's the work of the men to discover their own humanity, but perhaps most men do need some women's help, like the work that you're doing. But I, I remember the first time I read that and I just felt, it felt so comforting in the sense that mm -hmm. there, the humanity is still there. The soul is still there. Mm -hmm. And as much as this conditioning has been so, in, so, you know, it, we're inundated with it, with this, the human mind, the human heart, the human soul, we could still overcome this. And I agree with you. That's where, that's where everything shifts because if the demand lessens as living in a capitalist society, the supply has to also go down. And it's the, the result is saving generation after generation of, of women and girls from being, from falling through the cracks right into this same trap. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it gets deeper to me because I've been having this thing lately where I've been thinking about technology and deep fakes and AI, and that's becoming more of an issue. And for anyone who doesn't know, you know, deep fakes are using images of anyone online to create fake images of them, usually in a pornographic context, but not always. And the way it can make it look like a person is doing something that they are not actually doing. And so our culture has really made it a joke that every time there's a new technology, men use it for porn. You know, there was the VHS versus Betamax where VHS won because they allowed long form porn. Um, there's a Avenue Q has that song. The Internet is for porn. Mm. And it's just a joke. But what if we stopped laughing? What if we started asking what is wrong with men that they get a wonderful piece of new technology like an iPhone and they look at it and go, this thing is great. How can I use this to commit crimes against women? It's not that funny when you look no. at it that way. No, it's not funny at all. And and you're so right. It, when every every news report, breathless news report about virtual reality, this or that, and and artificial intelligence inevitably leads to even even on regular news shows, some giggling joke mm -hmm. about what it what else it could be used for without ever thinking of the victims, but as you keep pointing out, also without ever thinking of who is the de who is making the demand and thus making this um, possible and making it quote unquote funny in this society. Um, do you, do you have? If I can take that, uh, just take that to one further level. That will do. terrify you even more. I've been considering the impact of deepfake and AI porn 
on child pornography because the basic standard for many years has been child pornography is wrong because children are hurt in the making of it. But what happens when you make child pornography that doesn't actually involve real children? Do you have a legal leg to stand on anymore to tell men jerking off to images of four-year-olds being raped is wrong when you can't even say a child was harmed in the creation of that image anymore? Yeah, well, you horrified me. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> I got a million of these. <laughs> you succeeded. You warned me, and you succeeded. So let me, well, let me ask you a, a practical question. So, so, because that just freaked me out. Because of course, certain groups are going to go in that direction. So when when they create an increasing amount of AI porn, um, it it's not unlike in some ways cartoon porn in, in current existence in say in the u.s can someone make a cartoon that portrays children having sex or how, like thus thus leading the way for then ai to do that also i mean i i know nothing about this but when you said that it was like oh you just opened the door i didn't even know existed right the hyper realism of it is the issue because humans are very easily fooled creatures. You know, I watch movies and I cry at fake characters telling fake stories by actors because I'm a human and that's what we do. And so when I think of the difference between what has been, you know, cartoon porn until now and the hyper realism of deep fakes and AI, I don't think that the human mind is capable of even distinguishing between this is not a real person and this is. My own mind is not capable of that. When I watch animated movies, I completely empathize with the characters in those movies. And so when I think about that with a masturbatory impact, you know, like orgasm is a very powerful physiological reward. And when I think of that being paired together with that hyper-realistic and not even just child porn, I want you to, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Mickey, even open your mind <laughs> to the possibility that not just standard porn that can only be done with real bodies. We are talking about body distending, impossible acts that if actually done to a child would kill them. You know, monstrous penises in every, you know, the, people would die if real people were subjected to these acts. And with deep fakes, there is no limit to the high production value, horror-like pornography that can be made anymore. And they've already laid the groundwork through the increasing ex extremeness of pornography where the consumers of pornography have to go for more and more and more intense extreme scenes to actually get a hint of arousal. And so now if they say, oh, if I switch to AI, I can program it myself. to some, mm -hmm. I, I could go as extreme as they want. And it, it seems like for decades they've been leading up to this. And, and it, it's just, it's heartbreaking on so many levels. And when I think of, I try and think back to myself, 13, 14 years old in a time pre-internet and the, the seeing uh, a, someone's big brother's playboy was something you'd talk about for a week if you, if, <laughs> if you got a glimpse of it. And to, to, to think where we're at now and these, these children are being programmed like this, it's just, I, it, it, it fires me up and it makes me want to just shake people and say this, this, you know, this is what's worth fighting for this, this could, you can change humanity with the decisions we make right now, because at the mm -hmm. rate they're going with just the, some of the examples you gave me, and I'm sure you have more, if, if the direction they're going into, if no one stands up to this, the results are obvious. 
and I'm happy to say people are standing up and I'm mm-hmm. really happy that you're out there and you took time to share this because people need to be jolted by hearing this type of information. And I, I as we move towards wrapping up, I want to touch on that, but in a more personal way, because I remember talking to you about this in our written interview and years have passed. So I feel it's even more uh, relevant to say now, how are you doing? Like what are, what emotional risks do you feel someone like you takes when it comes to having to look at this stuff, think about this stuff and sometimes interact with the victims? Like what, what, what is this like in terms of the emotional toll it takes like secondary trauma, so to speak, where, where you're, you're, involved in trying to stop this this holocaust of madness and it's got to at some point impact you how do you deal with that oh it absolutely impacts me um you know like many people who deal with trauma survivors you try to not let it seep in too deep but we are i am a sexual being and i often say to people when i speak that when i talk about human trafficking everybody listens and when i talk about prostitution I lose a couple libertarians, but mostly people are still listening. But when I talk about pornography, everybody runs away. And these are all similar phenomena along a spectrum. You know, there's, of course, technicalities to talk about different bits. Pornography being so legal and acceptable and commercial makes it different from human trafficking, which has still got a stigma on it. But absolutely, it affects me. And um, I wish I had fantastic tips for self-care. It's just something I've learned to do over the years Um, I try to, when I work with survivors, um, just listen. These are terrible, terrible stories and nobody wants to hear them. And I just make the space to listen. But of course that seeps into me. And I have had times where I have had to take breaks and work on my own sexual healing and, and work on myself. Doing radio interviews like this is somehow easier for me because I can focus on anecdotes and facts and research and words. And I'm a very word-based person living in a very image-based society. <laughs> and But the porn seeps into my skin at a different level. And so just a few weeks ago, I gave a talk about pornography and it, it took like a good month, I would say, to come back to a happy place. I I have to remind myself that men aren't all like that, that men are human too. It gets a little hard sometimes. Um, I was considering recently even how pornography of my youth was still focused in a bizarre way on women's pleasure. Things like Deep Throat, which was before me in the 70s. I I was too late for that. But it was still about she had a clitoris in her throat that gave her pleasure. And the difference of that to now the rise of choking and strangulation, which is an unabashed, I'm going to stop her breathing because it brings me pleasure to hurt her kind of thing. That difference is harder for me. And I know that we are inculcating that with porn, that nobody is born wanting to choke someone else in a sexual way, that we are making men be like this and we are making women accept it. So when I get to those levels, I feel despondent, you know, it hurts. And then I get a little depressed. I don't know how anybody could do this work that I do for as long as I have without having those periods of burnout and depression. And I I take my time and I come back because I just can't countenance what's happening when I walk around my street and I see what's happening. I see those Asian women just sneaking out for a little bit for a cigarette or something and then going back in these dirty houses along 82nd Avenue. And I know that I just have to pick up again and I have to just keep doing it. And I, I respect that not everybody 
has that. But yes, it, it does take a toll. Absolutely. I want to come back to the not everybody has that, but I first want to honor what you just said. Thank you for being so honest. You, you obviously were under no obligation to be that to be that honest, but I think it, I really appreciate it, and I think it's really important that people hear this. And if we were doing this in person, I would offer you a hug for sure right now. <laughs> but but um, I it, it's it's just thank you for doing this, and I wanted then. The perfect you gave me a perfect segue you said this like this isn't the work that everyone does but i believe strongly and i'm certain you agree with me that there is a place in this work for everyone there's so much work to be done that each of us has different gifts and can bring something in and it's understood that not everybody can do what you're doing and it's actually we don't need everyone doing what you're doing you need help on other fronts and so as speaking to the listeners right now who just got a large dose of reality um, in their life, um, they might be thinking, well, how do I help promote the Nordic model? How do I um, speak to men in my life? Like, What advice could you give to listeners to begin to take those steps where they can be someone that's part of the solution to these, to these global, these deep global problems? Yeah, I've um I've been brought into places sometimes to give trainings to mostly women, but not exclusively, on how to discuss these issues. Um, you know, keeping your cool, bring, being rational. Um, you don't just have a statistics war. You speak reason and rationality. And in giving those talks, when I see the different levels that women are able to enter into the discussion, you know, sometimes it's really just as basic as stop watching porn yourself. Stop replaying the images that you've seen in porn through your life while you masturbate. Even though the technology is not in front of you, those images are in your head. Sometimes even just that very first baby step is something that someone can do that they haven't been able to do before I just directly ask them, please stop. It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. You should stop now. But on the other level, when you're ready to jump into activist work, I have such tremendous respect for those people who do the to catch a predator catfishing where they pretend to be 13 year olds online. And then, you know, men show up with a six pack of Mike's hard lemonade and condoms and they arrest them. Yes. I love this. Yes. I can't do this, <laughs> but it involves no actual victim. Like no actual person had to be harmed. You know, usually our legal system, there has to be a harm and then there's the arrest and then all of that. It just cuts through all of that and stops these men before they can commit more crimes. Because I'm very sure it's not the first time these men have shown up with the alcohol and the condoms. So I love those to catch predators. And if you have the technology abilities to do that, get on that. That's great. Um, I myself don't do as much work with trauma survivors. Um, that's very particular work. I don't have psychology certifications or training. And even as much goodwill as I have to want to help, I'm going to leave that to the experts. And that's the advice I would have you give people to. Don't go over your head. I have gone into some of the Asian massage parlors here in Portland to speak to the women. And how I know they don't speak English is they, they're putting everything in their phone because they don't understand what I'm saying. And then their answer comes back to me on the phone. So I know they don't speak English and I know things aren't happening well, but they're very sketchy places for me. And of course, I don't feel very comfortable going in there to confirm what I know. So I would ask you people, just be careful. You can't take on pimps yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Find the level that you can do. 
the expertise that you do have, tech stuff, counseling, and plug in your skill where it's needed. Excellent. Thank you for that. My brain was churning as you were saying. I was thinking like when you said to catch the predator, there is such a team of people that have to do that, starting with people funding it. Like, like you, your first step could just be like, what can I pay for? And what do you need me to, to, to support you? And then, like you said, the tech stuff it, it, and the, the street work of talking to the women in, in the quote unquote massage parlor. The, I, I, I often use this analogy when I speak to anyone about any form of activism. And I, I think you just nailed it where I, I learned over the years that the sign holding and the chanting is, isn't necessarily the path. It's, it's more like treating yourself like you're a triage nurse and saying, mm-hmm. what skills do I have? Um, what, who is the closest to me that I, that needs those skills and then go take care of them instead of saying uh, you can, you can virtue signal on Facebook and say end prostitution and get a thousand likes, but you doing something on the street one-on-one even is infinitely more um, effective in that moment. And so I just urge people to not disempower themselves. We all have uh, so much to offer and it starts with that just willing to look ourselves in the mirror and saying, what role am I playing in this? Even as you mentioned, like replaying images in your head is, is still, is still promoting this system and like working on yourself, doing your own shadow work, but then really, really putting in the effort to reach out and use the skills that you were blessed with to, to make a difference. So I, I love that answer. And I, I, Really appreciate you making time to talk, the work that you're doing. And um, you gave me a bio with lots of information in there. Is there anything else you would want the listeners to know about um, your work or getting in touch? Or do you feel it's all in the bio? Oh, I could I could talk for hours and hours and hours about all these things. Uh, <laughs> for sure, I can, but I won't. Um, but I would ask if anybody does want more information or how you can get involved and at any level of it, even if it's just working on yourself in a personal level, you know, nobody goes from zero to 60. I didn't just come up to this. It took me many years to get the level that I'm at. So if you want to get plugged in, email me at sam at johnstompers.com and I will find a way for you to plug in to do this anti-slavery work. Okay. I'm writing this down so I could put it in the show notes. It's the obvious spelling of Sam at johnstompers.com. So people can be writing that down themselves now, but if you didn't get it, check the show notes. It'll be in there. And I appreciate you making yourself available for inquiries and, and, and support. So Sam, thank you so much for all the work you do and for reconnecting with me eight years later and having this really, really important conversation. I deeply appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. And anytime you want to do this again, let's get on it again soon because I'm happy to speak with you more about it. It's great speaking with someone who has an advanced knowledge about these things. We're not doing 101. We're really getting down to it. And I, I love that about you. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke because Post Woke is more than this podcast. 
which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Postwoke is also a substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the Post-Woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool, kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. I want to say thank you to Samantha Berg for making time to have such a powerful and much needed conversation. And thank you to her for all the work that she does. And I want to urge each and every one of you listeners to, to digest this conversation without defensiveness. I can imagine that some folks, and this is not a judgment, I can imagine that some folks could get defensive hearing some of these um some of this information. In particular, that could be the classic clapback, not all men. And clearly, we weren't talking about all men. But since men are the driving force in so many of the institutions that threaten the well-being of women and children, men can be a powerful driving force for good in challenging and taking down those institutions. So I challenge you to hear this conversation as a call to action to be better in this world and to have the difficult conversations and to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, how can we do better? In other words, keep your guard up.